0: I am unashamed. What about you?
1: Welcome uh, to the Unashamed podcast, Doctor Ben Carson. What, we're all huge fans, Ben. We just got to tell you uh, of 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 your whole life, but especially uh, since everybody in the world has gotten to know you these last few years, uh, we have we've been admirers of yours. So welcome to the to
0: the podcast.
2: Well, well thank you. It's quite mutual, believe me.
0: Now, ben, I noticed <laughs> that on your book, uh, <clears throat> I, I, and I compared, they're doing a movie on my life, and I kind of looked at the two, trust me when I tell you, Mine is more R-rated than <laughs> yours was. <laughs> 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 he's talking about. If you <laughs> understand what I'm trying to tell you. <laughs> he's, t- he's talking about. He's
1: talking about gifted hands, the 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 book that became a movie about your life. So we're in production. Right. We're in production right now for a movie about Mom and Dad's younger life. And, Of course, most of it was pre Christianity for Dad. So the first thing he told us, Ben, he said are y'all just trying to embarrass me bringing up this part of my life? And so my answer, my answer was, well, dad, you know, when Paul wrote Romans, he didn't start in Romans four. He started in Romans one. He gave you the bad news before the good news. But I I guess maybe that's the first place to to, first question to ask you is, do you have any advice for dad when they make a movie about your life? But he's a little worried about how it's going to all turn out.
2: Well, well, I tell you, I had probably 12 to 15 different movie producers who wanted to do a movie. But they all believed in artistic license, ah. which which means which means they get to spice it up. And I know they would have had me having an affair with an ICU nurse. So <laughs> I said no. I said no, <laughs> and and held them off for a number of years. But then this group came along. And they said they would do it accurately, and they did. You know, I was an advisor, and uh, it was it worked out well.
1: I've seen them. I think I'm the only one that. Yeah, I, I tried to find it this weekend, and I couldn't find it because I wanted to watch it before we had my, Dr. Carson on. My wife and I rented it uh, just two or three years
3: ago, and uh, it was fantastic. I, I loved it. I got to yeah. I got to tell you a story uh, that happened, and, and you'll get a kick out of this. I, re- I really have two funny stories, but one of them is my wife was at a conference a few years ago, and it was a conference with Sarah Palin and your wife, Candy. And they were in the green room and before the conference had started. But it was an obscure place. And I won't give too many details because I don't want to embarrass anybody. But they were sitting there saying, what, what is this about? Because there, there weren't a lot of people there. And Sarah Palin was the one kind of leading the charge. And she was like, because she said, well, I looked down and saw that y'all were here. And I thought, well, this must be something. And Missy said, well, <laughs> when I looked at the itinerary, I said, well, Candy Carson and Sarah Palin is here. So I'm here. So they looked at Candy and Candy said, well, I just didn't have anything else to do. That's why I'm here. <laughs> and,
2: <laughs> And
3: Missy said they laughed and laughed, it, but it was kind of what they needed because she said it felt like they had some humble pie and they thought, There are a few hundred women here and we're going to make the most of this and not think of ourselves more highly than we ought. And we believe the Lord is behind this. But uh, my wife is a huge fan of your wife because when I told her you were going to yeah. be on, she said, That's great. I've never met him. She said, but y'all should have asked his wife to be on that.
2: <laughs> <laughs> well, she 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 is the energetic one. There's no question about that.
3: <laughs> oh, she. My wife went on and on about Kenny. She said she just lit up the room, and I was so glad that she was she was there. But that that what's that old saying? They say behind every great man is a great woman, and uh, it's hard to impress my wife, so I felt like I needed to tell that story.
2: Well, you know the the, the good Lord gave me the right wife because when i was a senior in college i was i had been in relationships and i said lord it's time for me to stop resisting so the next one please make sure it's the right one
4: and it was
2: (laughs) i like that that's
1: a very specific prayer that's and he answered it didn't he he's uh I'm i'm
0: looking at the apostle paul who was a blasphemer and a persecutor and he through Christian people and their families in jail and, and God feel. God chose him to write most of the New Testament so I felt a little better when yeah. I looked at him Carson I said well <laughs> if the apostle Paul made the cut and he and God allowed him to write a lot of the New Testament I said I feel better about it <laughs> yeah well
2: you know the way, the, way, the way I kind of look at it if God said David was a man after his own heart and you know all the things that David
0: did. Yep. Uh,
2: maybe there's a little more to it than just the external outward appearance. Maybe it's
0: maybe it's what's
2: in our hearts
0: that really counts. Yep. So Ben, we, how are we going to get godliness as mainstream inside our culture? Is it possible through the political process, or are we just going to have to be like we're doing now, taking the cursings and just going ahead and pointing people to Jesus. We're basically trying to get the country to love God and love their Mm -hmm. neighbor. And I don't see the downside to that.
2: No, there is no downside. One of the reasons I wrote this book is I wanted people to recognize that we, the American people, are not each other's enemies. Uh, We have a lot of forces that are trying to make us believe that. And they're trying to drive wedges on the basis of race, income, gender, age, religion, political affiliation, you name it, uh, driving wedges. And we, the American people, have to be smart enough to recognize what's going on. And you can't really expect the government to solve this problem because governments do what governments do. They grow, they infiltrate, they dominate. That's what they do. And that's, that's why our founders, you know, worked so hard on our Constitution. They wanted to give the people a tool to control the natural tendency of government to dominate.
0: Yep.
1: Man. You know, I, I thought I thought it was interesting, Dr. Carson, when I, I met you um, in, in D.C. briefly, my cousin Zach and I, it was at the inauguration. And you had a little event there at a restaurant, and it was some of the folks who had supported you, I think, you know, earlier – and uh, and so we met you briefly, and you, you told a story that I thought was really great. Uh, you said that some because you were going to be you know the HUD secretary, and so sure. you you said someone had asked you if you if if you thought you had the gravitas to lead such a huge agency. For the government, and you, you closed your eyes. You said, "Well, I told him it's not brain surgery," <laughs> 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 which I thought was so good. <laughs> I've told that story everywhere, but I wanted to ask you about that. About what, what was? Because I, I feel like you were one of the real underrated. Um, cabinet members during the Trump years because you you did a lot and and I don't know that our audience even knows because you know You didn't get a lot of fanfare for what you were uh, attempting to accomplish and did accomplish Would you tell us a little bit about what that was like when you were the uh, In charge of HUD yeah. and what you were doing?
2: Well, first of all when I came in there, you know, I didn't have any assistant secretaries for five months and no deputy secretary for eight months. Wow. I, think they, I think they felt that if they kept delaying and, and not confirming my people, that I would go away. But that doesn't work, <laughs> it didn't work that way. <laughs> uh, you know, one of the first things that was really noticed was that uh, there was no fiscal responsibility whatsoever. There had not been an audit for several years. It is required of every federal agency that they have an audit once a year. But there were so many material defects, it wasn't possible to do an audit. So, you know, we managed to convince a, a guy, uh, Irv Dennis, who was a 37-year veteran at Ernst & Young uh, and a partner uh, to come. It took a lot of convincing, I got to say. But uh, he, he did come, and he looked at the place, and he said, you know, & Young would never have taken this place on as a client it <laughs> was so bad it was so bad but but they were able to put together a team and in the space of a little more than a year uh, get the place functioning correctly because you can't do any of your programs if you don't have fiscal responsibility right but once we once we were able to create that then we were really able to push out you know as far as the opportunity zones were concerned yeah. Uh, things like um, the um, Envision Centers, uh, a lot of the programs to create self-sufficiency, uh, or a real war on affordable uh, housing. You know, it's very difficult to get affordable housing because there's so many regulatory barriers. It's not that we don't have the technology to produce housing that is affordable. It's that by the time you get through with all the regulatory requirements, it's no longer affordable. And that's something that we really have to deal with.
1: Right. No, I thought it, I thought it was really good. I had studied and read some, some of the things during that four years. Is it, is it now under the current administration? Have they, have they continued anything you started or they just undo it kind of like they did the other stuff? How's that been?
2: No, they've, they, they have continued uh, several other programs, which is good. And, uh, you know, I still haven't heard uh, the stories about the fiscal irresponsibility uh, <laughs> returning. So hopefully they've kept things going that way. Because you used to hear all these horrible stories about HUD and oh, yeah. all the billions of dollars. And you, you know that you haven't heard those for a few years now. No, yeah, exactly. And that's, that's, that's critical. We had some really good people there. For instance, uh, we had a group of teenagers uh, who came, teenagers and early adults who came to talk about the fact that 20,000 young people age out of foster care each year. And a substantial number of them end up homeless or in horrendous situations. And uh, our staff was so touched by that. Within four months, they had created the FYI program, the Foster Youth to Independence program, where we provide not only housing, but the wraparound services, can you imagine being 18 years old? Even if you had a place to live, you're still kind of out there. Yeah. You need, all, you need some support to get to the point where you become a self-sufficient individual. Yeah. So uh, created that program, uh, and that's still expanding as well. One of the things that I found that works is making sure that you involve the career people in developing your programs because they're going to still be there there many of them have been there for 10 20 30 40 even 50 years and uh you know they know how things work they can speed things up or slow things down so you want them involved in the creation of the programs so that when you leave you know they still feel that it's it's the program that they were involved in creating
1: yeah Yeah, it made me think about that verse in james where a pure and faultless religion is taking care of widows and orphans. And in essence, that's the idea there. I mean, these are, these are folks that, you know, can't take care of themselves. And so, you know, who's going to fill that gap, which is important. Uh, let's take our first break. So one of our sponsors, uh, is a group called faithful counseling. And, um, I, I couldn't, speak more highly about counseling, what it's done in my life. I know Jazz, you've talked about it. Missy talked about it while she was on the podcast too. Uh, counselors are a great guide, especially when you know you're trying to get out of something or get away from something or make some changes in your life or in a relationship. And uh, this group, I've had really good, uh, a lot of our listeners have have used them. And so the feedback I've gotten has been very, very positive. Uh, Anything you share with these guys is confidential. They have over 3,000 licensed therapists all across uh, 50 states. Um, for communication modes, you can text, chat, phone, video. So there's a lot of different ways to be able to communicate with these folks. Financial aid is available for those who qualify. It's secure, convenient, professional, and affordable. And most importantly, it's faith-based. So check these guys out. If you need that guide, um, faithfulcounseling.com unashamed, you're going to fill out a questionnaire. They're going to help you assess your needs, and they're going to match you with a counselor that you'll love. So that's faithfulcounseling.com slash unashamed, faithfulcounseling.com slash unashamed. So Jason, you said you had another funny story. What's well, it? my other funny story was that
3: conference that you went to no, on the inauguration it wasn't a conference. Uh, no, it
1: was just like a little get together. It was a get together. I was actually there
3: with my wife for. It was a luncheon. It was a luncheon, right? And We were there for ninety minutes, and we lunch came and went, and we never saw you. So we because we had so much, <laughs> so we were there. All your supporters were there. We were there supporting you, but then we had to leave. Missy's like, well, maybe luncheon means. Something else. You just, <laughs> you just didn't wait long enough. He came. You waited. I waited. I waited. I waited. We were on a schedule. I thought it was funny. It was like, well, it would have been nice to, to meet the uh, the honor ease at the luncheon, but we was a tight you schedule left too early. We
2: go. Well well we knew you we knew you were there. We heard about it. All right.
3: Well because we were like we want them to know that we support them and and we wanted to be there and we were honored to be invited so we could honor you. But that's as close as we came to meeting I guess
1: outside of this. We're getting closer. We're getting closer. Uh, well, I, uh, I want to ask you and we're going to talk uh, about the book Created Equal. Uh, for most of the podcast, but I, one more thing before we get there, because uh, I was curious, I know that you do, you, uh, I guess, I and your wife speak at, at, at pro life events, because I so did my wife and I. So a lot of times, I'll hear that you're going to be there, or you were someplace I was just at, and um, so I, I was curious what you thought about what's what's happening in real time now with this uh, leak and. Sort of what you think about Roe v. Wade And how that's going to affect a, Kind of the larger I guess sure. pro-life situation Because I know you guys are, are very active
2: Yes we're, we're very active in that area Well you can imagine uh, I spent my entire professional career Trying to save little babies So
4: yeah, exactly.
2: <laughs> I'm not going to be too enthusiastic About trying to kill them
1: yeah.
2: uh, But uh, you know the leak Is really a serious issue yeah because this really violates a long-standing tradition of confidentiality and impartiality and now no one can really trust the inner circle about what's going on and i think what's happening here is we're having an infiltration of people who believe themselves to be righteous they believe their cause to be righteous and therefore anything they do to get to a certain end is justifiable according to them it's really the same kind of thinking that the jihadists have. You know, we can kill people, we can lie to them, whatever, if they're infidels because we're trying to get to a better place. And it's it's very sad that they think that way, but we just have to recognize that reality. Mm-hmm. The good thing is it seems that we're moving closer uh, to the kind of federalistic policies that were intended in the beginning when we talked about a nation that is of, by, and for the people. You know, we want these life and death decisions to be made at the level of the people and their representatives, not at the level of justices who have no obligation to the people whatsoever and have lifetime appointments. So that, I think, in and of itself is a good thing. The reason that the left is so upset, of course, is that they know that their arguments are not that good and maybe the people won't accept their arguments because if they thought they had good arguments that the people would be in agreement with, they would be rejoicing about this.
1: Well, I agree with you that it almost <clears throat> it has to be a religion in and of itself or you wouldn't be this committed, especially to something so barbaric as what this is, and especially in some of the decisions that have been made. So we talked about in our last podcast, We're, I mean, it's just it's almost baffling to see people talk about abortion in a way that's like celebratory, you know, yes. I, I mean, even from the old days, it was, it was, at least it was more like, well, we don't want to talk about that because you don't, that's a hill you can't die
0: on. But now you're right. It's, it's such a firm. <clears throat> they spray on a building. Abortion saves lives. And I'm
2: Unbelievable.
0: thinking, I said, man, <laughs> how, how could you get to a point where you literally killed your child, and you're somehow saying that saves lives. It's
2: pure evil. And why is it that if you kill a woman who's pregnant, you get charged with two counts of murder, Yeah. but you can kill the baby and you get charged with nothing? How does that work?
0: Yeah. It's the saddest thing I think I've witnessed on my 76 years on planet Earth is when they started killing their children. I just wouldn't have thought America would do that.
2: Well, you know, I think part of it is the fact that we've divorced ourselves from our respect for life from the womb to the tomb. And as a result of that, we've become much more coarse in our relationships with each other. We don't care about each other as much as we used to. And we really have got to get back to our Judeo-Christian roots. I think that was the reason that this country rose from a bunch of ragtag militiamen to the pinnacle of the world in record time, because we honored God. We honored godly principles of loving your neighbor, caring about those who couldn't care for themselves, developing our God-given talents to the utmost so that we became valuable to the people around us, having values and principles that govern our lives. And when we throw those things away, we make space for evil. Yeah,
0: Exactly. We're living in some trying times, so what can we do there, Ben, to help the cause? We, one— I'd love to see a fellow like you be the president of the United <laughs> States. <laughs> You'd get my vote, Ben. I don't care if you don't get the 10, I'd be one of them. You <laughs> uh, get more than 10.
1: Yeah. One uh, of, thank you. One of my good friends, Ben, said, She said, uh, I told you you were going to be on the podcast. And she was, like, Oh, I love him. She said, Tell him that I've never given money ever to a politician until Ben Carson came along, and she sent money to your campaign. I said, well, I'm sure he appreciated that. So, Well, make sure you tell her I'm not a politician. (laughs) That's right. Exactly. Maybe that's the key. Maybe that's the key, right?
0: Well, Ben, wouldn't you say that overall, just looking at it, I'm on record as saying it, the problem with governments, even the greatest constitutional republic ever, these United States of America, Their their negative is they can't remove your sin and they can't raise you from the dead, governments. They can't can't do that. So I view it as more of a spiritual fix than a governmental one. Absolutely. Of course, course if you could get uh, our government, if they were godly men and women, that would sure help. But...
2: Well, Phil, you may, re- you may remember that uh, Khrushchev told Eisenhower that your grandchildren's children will live under communism and we won't have to fire a shot. But what was he talking about? He knew that all they had to do is gain control of our educational system so they could indoctrinate the kids, gain control of the media so that they could spoon-feed the people only what they wanted them to hear, remove faith in God and replace it with faith in government and raise the national debt to astronomical levels so you could justify massive taxation, redistribution of wealth and complete dependency on the government. All of those are things that are happening right now. And it's, it's our job to alert people to what's going on and help to find better ways to deal with it.
1: Yeah, it really yep. is a return back to what what it's all about. So your book, um, Ben, is is called "Created Equal: uh, The uh, The Painful Past, Confusing Present, and Hopeful Future of Race in America." And um, I, I just wanted you to talk a little bit about it in the book. You talk about the brain. Obviously, you know a little bit about that from your uh, <laughs> from your past. Uh, but tell us tell us about that. Why why is that? in your experience in that and understanding the human brain, how that factored into kind of what you talked about in the idea of of creation of of men and women. Sure.
2: Well, of course, we were created in the image of God, all of us. And uh, if you take the human brain, which is the most fantastic organ system in the universe, billions and billions of neurons, hundreds of billions of interconnections, remembers everything you've ever seen, everything you've ever heard, can process more than 2 million bits of information in one second. Wow. I mean, it is an amazing
0: organ system that God gave us. Yeah, what, what, it, what it, department it, in salt water pulled that off?
2: <laughs> 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 exactly. Exa- exactly. And uh, so you, if you take a human brain and you compare it with an animal brain, let's say a dog, Uh, And no offense to dogs here, by the way. Um, You know, on the surface, they look very similar. Frontal lobes, parietal lobes, temporal lobes, occipital lobes, cerebellum, brainstem, midbrain, all these things are there. But the dog's midbrain is much better developed than people because that's the area that allows you to react. So if you notice how animals react much faster than people do, Mm -hmm. cat-like reflexes. Yeah. on the other hand, people have these very well developed frontal lobes. Frontal lobes allow you to engage in rational thought processing. We're able to extract information from the past, integrate it with information from the present, project it into the future. A year ahead, five years ahead, 10 years ahead, we can plan and strategize, we can analyze. And that's why it's so detrimental. And I explain this in the book when we teach children, that the most important determinant of what happens to them is the color of their skin. That doesn't make any sense. You look at them and you determine that by looking, losing your midbrain like an animal, or do you use your frontal lobes and analyze the content of their character like Dr. King talked about. We have the ability to engage in much higher thought processing. And animals do. So, why should we teach our children to act like animals?
3: Boy, what a great point. Oh, yeah. man. I got chills when you went to that. <laughs> that's rich. I, <laughs> as soon as this ends, I'm going to go read this book. <laughs> oh, you're you're, you're going to love I'll it. I'll
0: tell you one thing for sure it tells us that we're not brain surgeons. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's why it's so interesting. Let, let's take another break. So
1: the older I get, Jase, the more I realize the importance of life insurance. You know, just the years tick by, you start thinking, you know, you're not going to be here forever, even though we've got our ultimate life insurance, which is heaven. The also, end is near. The end is near. I, I want my family to be taken care of as much as possible. And uh, one of our sponsors is a company called Policy Genius. And it's, a, it's basically a one-stop shop to find insurance that you need at the right price. So, they're kind of a clearinghouse to be able to help you find the best prices on life insurance. Uh, you go to policy gen- policygenius.com fill to get started. It just takes you a few minutes. Uh, you could save 50% more on life insurance by comparing quotes with Policy Genius. They don't add on extra fees, they don't sell your info to third parties. They have thousands of five star reviews across Google and Trustpilot, so that lets you know that they're reliable. Uh, they have options that offer coverage in as little as a week and avoid unnecessary medical exams. Since 2014, Policy Genius has helped over 30 million people shop for insurance and placed over $150 billion in coverage. So these guys are the real deal. PolicyGenius.com slash Get your free life insurance quotes and see how much you could save. That's PolicyGenius.com slash Well, when I first read that tagline,
3: you know, the verse that popped in my head was Hebrews 13, because it says Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. I don't know if that, you know, that crossed your mind on the painful past, confusing present, and hopeful future, which is really a mirror image of that verse. Because Jesus, you know, it, we all come together on the cross. And uh, since I saw mm-hmm. my dad come to the Lord at an early age, It really tore down all those walls of what we notice in the earth, like skin color or economics or or scale, because that transformation that happened allowed me and my family to look at everybody from God's viewpoint, and we just never experienced that racism or prejudice. You know, we would have people around our table when I was coming up from all different you know backgrounds and different skin color, and so it just wasn't a thing. I was so thankful that the Lord used my parents to just debunk that at an early age, because we we were living in an area that that has racist undertones. Sure, and sure.
2: Uh, well, so well, aren't you? Aren't you glad that that God was so gracious as to give us variety? I mean, oh, who, yeah. would to, who would want to go? Who would want to go to the National Zoo? If every animal was a Thompson's gazelle, it'd be real <laughs> <Yeah>. boring. That's <laughs> oh, right. Exactly. exactly. Who, who would want to go to the national aquarium if every go- fish was a goldfish? And who would want to get up in the morning if everybody looked exactly like you? It would be yeah. a national disaster in some cases. Oh, yeah. so, I mean, we should be very thankful that God gave us variety. We're the ones who make it into a problem. It's not a problem. Yeah. It, in- it's, actually, it's actually a blessing. That we had so many people in our country with the ability to look at things from different points of view and from different backgrounds, and to help solve various and sundry problems.
1: Do you do you think? Because you mentioned communism earlier, and we know that most of the divisions that allowed that to happen were were class you know, in terms of turning people against each other. Do you think this current thing is, is is that what it is again, except now it's just race? Is that, I mean, what's the point of 1619 Project or CRT or these things? Because you mentioned it earlier, these things are being taught. So what's their end goal, you think? In teaching these things that say, you know, you're, you, this country's been racist from the beginning, you know, all the things that they're saying, it really didn't start with the founders and, you know, ad nauseum.
2: Well, they distort our history and they change our history. Have you ever noticed when ISIS goes in and conquers a place, what do they do first? They destroy the history. They destroy the museums. They destroy the libraries. They destroy people's history because your history gives you your identity and your identity is the foundation for your beliefs. And it makes it very easy to sway people. So if you're trying to fundamentally change a society, then that's one of the first things that you have to do is change their history and make them vulnerable and also make people dissatisfied with what's going on now. You have to convince them that the system doesn't work if you want to change it to something else. So how are you going to do that? Well, uh, first of all, you get a large percentage of your people to start feeling guilty. This white guilt thing. I talk a lot about that, but if they're feeling guilty, then they're not going to come out so strongly when you say, defund the police. They're not going to come out so strongly when you turn violent criminals loose. They're not going to come out so strongly when you leave our southern border open and let people flood in because they don't want somebody to call them a racist. What a bunch of garbage. But it's creating chaos. And then you can say, see, I told you the system doesn't work. That's why we need another system. That's exactly what's going on, I do believe. But, but we, can, we, can, we can change that narrative. But in order to do it, we have to be willing to get out there and talk about what's going on. So often, people feeling guilty, feeling shame, feeling whatever, they just sort of stand in the corner with their head down and hope that nobody calls them a nasty name. You know, you can't do it that way. You can't be the land of the free if you're not the home of the brave. And you've got to get out there and talk about what is going on in our nation. And our nation has a rich history. You know, the 1619 Project, CRT, they try to focus everything around slavery and make it seem that the United States is uniquely evil because we had slavery. But an accurate reading of history will tell you that every civilization has dealt with slavery from the time there was history of mankind and that there there are actually more slaves in the world today than there have ever been at any point in history when you look at human trafficking. And the number one consumer of it, the United States of America. So we don't have to go back 200 years to find something to deal with. We got a severe problem (laughs) going on here right now. But if there is something that's unique about the United States and slavery, is that we had so many people who opposed it, that we were willing to fight a bloody civil war and lose a large portion of our population to stop it. Right. That's worthy of comment.
1: In, it is. And you know, what's interesting is, but you, we well, you sure don't hear this today. Um, those were all Republicans, by the way, all those right after the Republicans are the ones that say the Republic. And now that you hear it talk, we're the most evil people on the planet and it's totally flipped around. <laughs> it was the Democrats back then and it still is.
2: Well, because they have the media on their side, uh, they can pretty much say anything they want, do anything they want, and then have it parroted by the media. The only problem with that is that now people are starting to distrust the media, and the media has brought that on themselves. The press doesn't realize, and maybe they will hopefully before it's too late, is that they're the only business protected by the United States Constitution. And the reason for that is because they were supposed to disseminate unbiased information to the people so that the people would know what they thought. But when they put their, when they put their thumb on the scale, they distort the whole system. And, and whenever I see a young reporter, I always tell them, you know, you're in a, what used to be a very honorable profession, and maybe you can be on the leading edge of bringing that honor and respect back to it.
1: Yeah. And all it takes really is, is being truthful. Uh, let's take another break. Uh, you mentioned in the book, the some similarities between cancel culture and and, and racism, especially the, the Jim Crow variety of that. Uh, and Dad's written a book called Uncanceled. And in that book, we talk about, you know, the attempt, there was an attempt to cancel him and us you know, over, over biblical views on, you know, homosexuality and other things. But in, in that process, dad was accused of being a racist, which is not oh, true. You know, of course, you know, cause that's, and this was kind of back before cancel culture was cool, like it is now. So to, to expound on that a little bit, cause I found that very fascinating and we've been talking a lot about that because of dad's book as well.
2: Yeah, I was, I was doing an interview with a, a liberal outfit, uh, outfit a couple of days ago. And they were really taken, about, taken aback by the fact that I would say that Jim Crow racism and cancel culture uh, had some similarity. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but, I bet but, they did. <laughs> but, but, but I made it clear to them that both of those things were there to establish one group as a superior group and another group as the inferior group and to maintain that. And that's exactly what's happening with cancel culture. If you don't agree with the elites and what they believe, uh, then you're not worthy of an opinion. And they try to do everything they can to minimize your opinion and even your existence and hurting other people. When you stop and think about what the Judeo-Christian value is, it says, love your neighbor. And cancel your neighbor because they don't agree with you. It's just the opposite of that. It is nothing but pure, unadulterated evil.
0: Yeah, It's it's given new meaning to that text that the Apostle Paul wrote to the Corinthians. Love, among other things, love is patient. It's kind. Love keeps no record of wrongs. (laughs) Man, could we learn a lesson from that? But
3: I I, I want to go ahead. Dr. Carson?
0: No,
2: no, no! I was just, I was just going to say, you know, there, there are no perfect people. I, I find it fascinating when you know we're tearing down statues and renaming everything under the sun. Uh, what? Who? Who is a perfect person? There was only one, and they yep. crucified him. That's right. So, I mean, this is really stupid, and really, what it does is it erases your history. And if you don't know your history, you're bound to repeat it. And we need to just le- what we need to do is make sure we learn from our history and move forward and advance when we have. History. That's what smart people do. Stupid people try to cover it up or to change it. Yeah. Yep.
3: Yeah. Great what I, point. What I was going to say is actually when they were attacking my dad, because it was kind of a setup from the outset, oh, which yeah. has been well documented but actually the media uh, when it, when it, when it went down the racist prejudice line it actually helped us because the more they started looking at our family because they just assumed oh y'all are white people living in the south you have beards right. you must you must be a racist too <laughs> but when the media started looking at all the pictures they're like well wait a minute two of the brothers have have adopted african-american kids yeah. like in their family like when they found a picture of my wedding so at this we're going back 30 years ago one of my best men. Was an African American fellow. Still one of my yeah. best friends in the world. And all of a sudden, it was it was so weird to see them try to change the narrative because they're like the the facts are not making sense here and with <laughs> with the narrative we've created because that just came out of nowhere. Yeah. And uh, well, it was,
2: isn't it fascinating how the left loves to accuse everybody else of exactly what they're doing or exactly what they are and if 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 there are any racists it are the people it's the people who say because you're black you have to think this way and if you don't think that way you're an uncle tom you're a race trader you're this that and the other how do they get to decide that how does how does biden get to say you know if you have trouble deciding between me and trump you ain't black how does he get to decide whether you're black or not? I mean, that is the most racist statement I think I've ever heard.
1: Yeah. Oh, yeah, and you're right, uh, Ben. It, it's projection because the president just said this past week that MAGA, and he didn't say you know not right wing extreme. He said the MAGA crowd was his words mm-hmm. is are the most are the most dangerous extremist people. That have ever existed in their country's history. Now, <laughs> you, you talk about it. I mean, that's a lot of people. That's seventy million people that voted. You know, for President Trump. So, I mean, and he basically yeah. said we're worse than whatever. You know, fill in the blanks. You know.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. And you know, the other thing I emphasize in the book is how the media distorts things. You know, mm-hmm. for instance, go back to the George Floyd incident. Uh, you know, they covered that twenty four seven forever tried to make it seem like this was a common occurrence. And, you know, it was fortunate that they happened to catch it on camera this time, but this goes on every day. Right. Uh, Nothing could be further from the truth. And we put the real statistics in the book. You know, even the Washington Post uh, admits in 2018, the last year they have good statistics for it, there were less than two dozen unarmed black men who were killed by police with more than 50 million police-civilian interactions. I mean, so every, everyone, every time it happens, obviously it's a tragedy. I don't want to minimize that. Sure, yeah. But we're not, we're not talking about something that is a common occurrence by any stretch of the imagination. And there was, interestingly, and I point out in the book, there was another case that was almost identical to the George Floyd case. Uh, the police had their knee on his neck for 14 minutes. He was screaming, I'm going to die. But he was a white man. Hmm. So it didn't fit the narrative. Yeah. So it didn't get right. any coverage.
1: Right. Yeah. Yeah. And it seems to always aim itself towards that. Uh, you mentioned about media, uh, but you also talk about big tech in, in the book as well. Um, do you think that that's going to continue this this fanning the flame? Do you think the Elon Musk thing and Twitter is going to sort of change that dynamic and game? What's what's your what's your read on that?
2: Well, you know, I was I was praying for for Elon Musk <laughs> yeah. that he would that he would be successful in doing this because, and and you see how they scream, just scream like pigs being slaughtered. That's right, you know, because be, be, because they don't like the ideal of free speech for anybody except them or people who agree with them. But you know, that's what so many people sacrificed and died for, so that we could have that kind of freedom in our country. So. I'm very much uh, for it. I I love to see some of the other platforms that are being developed, uh, True Social and some of the others. I I think there's a real need for them. And people are flocking to them for a reason. And, uh, you know, if it can cause them to just stop and think for a moment about what they're doing, where they're going, what are they trying to accomplish? You know, think about the media maybe if they thought for just a moment they would realize the first thing that that communist regimes do is they completely control the media yeah they don't even know that they're cutting their own throats by supporting this kind of uh, foolishness Yep. and you know we just need to pray for wisdom for everybody to get our country moving again all it really requires is some common sense and uh, a return to our values And we can be back there in no time at all. It's really a great time, I think, for a revival. We've had four four revivals in our country, and they all were around either pestilence or war. Well, we got both of those things now. So this is a really good time, for one, with what's going on. Because I think we're at the gravest point in our history right now. America was an experiment. Nobody thought it would work. The Europeans mm-hmm. said, this is just foolishness. You can't have a country that's run on the will of the people. You've got to have a monarch. You have to have a ruling structure. And yet, look what happened. And when Benjamin Franklin came out of that Constitution Hall in 1787, a woman said, sir, what do we have here? A monarchy or a republic? And he said, a republic, if you can keep it.
1: <laughs> <You> <laughs> We've know? been fighting ever since, and we try to hold on. No <laughs> yep. doubt about it. Let's take our last break. Well, I think one of the reasons why, <clears throat> men, that we relate so well to you is, is that, you know, our story, Dad's story of having an idea about, because we love to hunt and fish, and Dad had an idea about how to improve a duck call. And he wanted to make a living by living off the land because that's just what he, you know, felt called to do. And he—he's educated. He has degrees. He, had, you know, he thought he was going to be a school teacher and a coach, but that's not where God led him. And out of that, God built not only our family but a business, and then us an opportunity, a platform like we're doing now to be able to, to talk yeah. about Jesus. You, you're similar. I mean, you—you—you're you, an American success story because you you were educated and you, you know, God has used you the way he has. And you even ran for president, which is amazing. So I I think our similarities really is the American story, right? I mean, anybody is capable of doing anything. That's the the whole idea about why we have this country.
2: Absolutely. And we were made in the image of God. And I think God was instrumental in the creation of this country. This is a, what other country in the world has a dream there's only american dream there's no other dream is there think about it and and every coin in our pocket and every bill in our wallet says in god we trust if we can make that actually true god's blessings will return big time to this country there's no question in my mind about that
1: i believe that too so uh, in our last minute or two uh just uh, tell our audience uh, a little, you know, why they should get this book. Uh, I, it's amazing. Uh, I think it's so needed in, in terms of to have an open discussion about race. And you're right. So many uh, white people are afraid to have that discussion. And I, and I think that's why it's so important that you open up dialogue like this. So tell us just why you wrote yeah. it and what you hope to accomplish through it.
2: Well, well, I wrote it because there's there's everything seems to circle back to race these days. Uh, whether whether that's appropriate or not, uh, they try to use it as a cudgel to divide people, to separate us uh, as Americans. And this is at a time when there's been enormous progress in race relationships. Just in my lifetime, when I was a kid and a black person came on television in a non-servile role, it was a big deal. You called everybody into the living room, everybody watched, it was a big deal. Now you have black people. Uh, generals and admirals and presidents of universities, including Ivy Leagues and CEOs of Fortune 500 companies and heads of major firms. And I mean, we had a black president elected twice. We have a black vice president. Don't see her much, but she's there. And you know, (laughs) I mean, think think about that. So for people who say that things have not changed, how can they say that with a straight face? They have changed. But, you know, we, we haven't reached nirvana, and we need to get to a point where we recognize that people are people. And that, that is something that will really be brought out in this book, people are people. You know, the external characteristics, they don't mean anything. What makes you who you are? It's your brain. It's not your skin, it's not your hair, it's not the length of your beard, it's your brain.
3: Yeah. What I wanted to say is, uh, there know, there's two different times in my life during all this that, you know, us being accused of racism and different things. Once where we brought a guy to the Lord and his first time in, you know, a gathering of the Lord's people, he leaned over and he said, there's a lot of black people here. And I said to him back, I said, Nick, you got to remember, he's new to the Lord. And it come out of, you know, a, a racist background. Yep. And I said, I hadn't noticed. But I noticed when I said that and as we were singing together, you know, tears filled his eyes because that experience of well, you know, what was I thinking? The guilt from how he had operated and the way he was raised and guided freedom from that. And the other story I wanted to I wanted to share is back when Phil had all the, the controversy and there was media literally outside of everybody's house on, like you see on TV. And I remember when we were going to church one morning, the media pulled up and we invited them to come to church with us. I said, I'll give you an interview if you'll come to church with us. But it had the same effect because when we went in there and they just saw how we were and the hugging and the kissing on the cheek and the, the multi, uh, you know, racial, representation that was there and thus singing we were singing cappella together and and so when we got got out to do the interview they were the interviewer would literally got choked up and because they had this narrative in their mind that they had read on the internet and all of a sudden they had experienced true love people made in the image of god not noticing these superficial differences and uh, I just think it yeah. illustrates what you're saying. You know, the the true experience in the day-to-day life is is the greatest practical application yeah. of these principles, you know, which is why we can and, just, it's like we've known yeah. each other for years, like my wife yeah, and absolutely. I said that about your wife. She said it was literally like we were sisters from a different mother. Yeah. You were. Yeah, you wasn't stopping and thinking, oh, she's black, you know, I'm white. It just yeah. wasn't entering, entering our minds. But it's hard to and convey they, that to the world.
2: Yeah. They'll know that we are Christians by our love. Yeah. That's for, how you uh, that's how you can always tell. Somebody who is hateful, who's trying to cancel people, they can say they're a Christian. <laughs> but yeah. they're not a
1: Christian. Yeah. No way. Well, yeah. I, and I think that is the draw. Jace is right. Uh, you know, it's and we, we grew up that way. Um, Dad the reason they accused him of being a racist is because they asked him in this interview when where you grew up in the South in, you know, North Louisiana, did you see white people mistreating black people? He, and he said, no, not in my community. We worked together. We were very close, very spiritual minded. And so that one statement was taken That Phil Robertson. The headline was in the Jim Crow South. Phil Robertson says blacks were not mistreated. You know, that that's the takeaway by what he said.
2: Of Right. So well, you read yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly.
1: That's right. So, so uh, the book releases uh, in a couple of weeks, I think. Um,
2: yeah, seventeenth of May.
1: Seventeenth of May. So you can pre-order your copy, Amazon.com, wherever you find books. I'm sure. Uh, and we have so enjoyed the conversation because, like I said, we're, we're huge admirers of yours. I, I I didn't even know you had any spirit. The first time I heard you speak, uh, it was probably sometime you know in '16, and I said. I don't know what it is about this guy, but he, he something, there's depth to him. And then, of course, mm-hmm. once we found out more about you and your story, it was incredible. So uh, we salute you for what you're doing. Uh, yes. you, you know, people are going to hate you just like they hated Jesus, but that's all right because, you know, we're part of his family anyway. Yeah.
2: Well, I say, how, how, how long can they hate you? How long are we here? Against the backdrop of eternity.
1: (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. Which is what we talk about. Thank you, Dr. Carson. It's a pleasure. Uh, We want to really encourage our audience to go out and get this book. Uh, You will be blessed by reading it. So thank you for coming into Unashamed. And
2: thank thank you guys for being patriots. We appreciate it. All right. Thanks, guys.
1: Thanks for listening to the Unashamed podcast. Help us out by rating us on iTunes. And don't miss an episode by subscribing on YouTube.